it's one thing to, to know who we are, then it's another thing to be who we are, right? To live in alignment, to allow that to be enough and to self-express that. And I believe that's the, the journey that we're all on here as humans is beginning to explore what many of us are carrying with us from childhood that are coloring the way we are in the world. A boss babe is unapologetically ambitious and paves the way for herself and other women to rise, keep going, and fighting on. She is on a mission to be her best self in all areas. It's just believing in yourself. Confidently stepping outside her comfort zone to create her own vision of success. Nicole, finally, you are on the Boss Babe podcast. I'm super excited, Danielle. Thanks for having me finally. I feel like I've been wanting to make this happen for a really long time because I've been following you for must be about three years because when you first started posting, oh my goodness, I felt like you were speaking to my soul and also speaking to my shadow side all in <laughs> one. I'm like, uh-oh, that's me. <laughs> so funny. I, I remember seeing someone make a quote, something along the lines of truths wrapped up in comfy blankets. Actually, speaking of blanket conversation we were just having, and I think that's kind of what you're referencing here. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm so glad you're doing the work that you are because, you know, someone who has gone on a huge personal development journey in the last five, six years, I actually really didn't discover personal development until I was about 28, 29. Um, I think it's needed more. And I'm I think the way that you present yours on social media and that it's okay, like you're this and you're this and that's okay and let's move through it and past it was such a great way. And so I am really excited that you're actually coming out with a workbook now. So I want to start off the conversation by, you know, the title of your new workbook is How to Meet Yourself. What does meet yourself actually mean? (laughs) Really, really great question. And what self? really, I think, are we even talking about? And of course, the self that I'm referencing is our authentic self. And I think the reality for so many of us, and probably why so many people resonate with my work, is we feel so disconnected. I mean, you in your 20s, I remember for me, it took into my 30s, even coming through a system of clinical psychology where I hear personal development, I think self-awareness, though the reality of it for me was I never felt so disconnected and so unfulfilled as I did after having checked so many boxes that I thought made me who I was. And the reality I think that many of us are waking up to is we're living life from a very habitual place. And the self that I'm hoping to provide the roadmap for in this new workbook, people to discover is who they really are at their core. What do you, I think that's actually a really interesting concept though, like the habitual place. So what do you mean by that? And how can we understand the habits that we are having that actually are creating the cycles that we are in? Yes. I mean, the reality for us humans is we are habitual creatures. Everything from the way we care for our body. And I mean, many of us can pay attention to just our our daily habits. What is the first thing we do when we wake up? How do we take our meals, move our body? What does our sleep schedule look like? All of those, if we're really honest with ourselves, are are very habitual. We tend to do the same things, care for our same body. And if we really want to go back in time, chances are it's the way that we learn to care for our body from a very early place in our life. And obviously peeling back another layer of that onion in terms of our habits, our mental world, all of the thoughts that narrate our life. And the reality for us humans, again, is that we are always thinking, making sense of the world around us. And again, there's another area where we're not creating new stories. We tend to be 
very habitual about the way we're narrating our life, the stories we're telling, you use the word shadow, all of these things that we think about ourselves, And ultimately all of that is, in my opinion, grounded in our childhood. So when we become aware of why we are stuck, I think that really can empower us to begin to make choices to not only reconnect with who we are, but to begin to live, I think, from a more authentic, fulfilling place. So if someone's listening to this right now and they're, you know, in a point in their life where they're, they've got goals, they've got ambitions, they're wanting to make a change in their life, they are wanting to maybe earn more money or they're wanting to leave their job or they're wanting to grow the business that they have, how do they start understanding the emotional side of what they're going through? Because I see this a lot in entrepreneurs. Like I see this in people who want to be entrepreneurs, this hustle, this like, oh, I'll be happy when I reach this goal. I'll be relaxed when I do this. But we all know that's not necessarily the best way to live your life. So how do people feeling like I want more, I need to be better, I need to go after this thing? How do they start understanding who they're meeting and where they're meeting them? (laughs) I think that's a really great question. And you're really speaking to a version of myself who, you know, very much learning to keep myself busy, always overachieving, pushing myself to excel. While it did translate to me having the professional practice that I wanted, being successful in that very external way, when it came down to it, even those actions that I think really are emblematic of a lot of our entrepreneurial journeys, and we call it motivation and Even externally, I think from society, we get very rewarded from this endless going, though ultimately we feel disconnected, empty, and it doesn't translate to us necessarily feeling good about ourselves. So one thing I've really noticed is I obviously get to speak to a lot of incredible entrepreneurs and some who are starting to be entrepreneurs. And I see this pattern continuously of like, am I good enough? nothing's good enough. There's always another goal. I'm not, you know, I'm not where I want to be. And I'm really curious how people can see that within themselves and what they can do about it. Asking for a friend. Yes. (laughs) Asking for an old version of myself included as someone who's been very driven to achieve endlessly doing, which I think was why it was so destabilizing when I had gotten to the end of my to-do list and I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good enough, worthy enough, connected even really to the life that I created around me. And I think when we're talking to entrepreneurs about achievement, a lot of the things we do, whatever action that is, achieving, succeeding, whatever it might be, often have an intention. There's a reason why we're doing. And a lot of us in terms of the entrepreneurial space, I do think we seek that doing and that validation, having the business, having the bank account, having whatever it is in hopes that that will translate to us feeling worthy of having that, feeling good enough on some level. So I think the first question is to ask ourselves: is why? You know, what are we driving ourselves for? And can we be good enough if we were to not make the choice to succeed or to do? And that's been a really big learning experience and healing for me is learning how to be valid, be worthy when I'm just being without any aspect of doing, achieving, or functioning attached to it. Do you think that comes down to inner child too? Because I was telling you before we went on air, I went to the Hoffman process, which is basically a week-long immersive experience all about your inner child. 
And speaking about old versions of ourselves, that's exactly what I had to go and work on. I had this belief that I wasn't good enough. And when I peeled back the layers of that, it all came down to my inner child and habits and habitual beliefs that I had taken on since being a young girl. And in that process of trying to move through them, we did lots of techniques like bashing, lots of, is it gestalt? What's it called? Gestaltious? Gestalt. Yes, where you like sit in one seat and talk to one side of your brain and then the other. And we did loads of stuff and I really found that helped. So I know that you you have an inner child section in the book. So what do you think that really when you want to address this side of yourself in understanding how you can feel good enough, is it always about the inner child or can it be in adult stuff too? It can, let's go back and talk about what the inner child is. And in terms of our earliest relationships, we learn everything from how to be, how to relate to other people in the world, including about ourselves, who we are as a human. And if we had a safe, attuned, curious caregiver who asked us about our interests, just explored who we are in our emotional world with us, then chances are over time, obviously, if that happens consistently enough and if that caregiver is available to meet our needs, we have, and of course I'm simplifying the process, we develop a core belief that, you know what, I'm a worthy person. I have my needs met. Someone cares for me, is connected to me, and is interested in who I am. When we don't have that attuned caregiver, as very few of us, in my opinion, have had, then I think the first core belief we create for ourselves, in absence of someone being available to meet our needs, let alone be curious about who we are, what makes us interested in life, is that we're not worthy at our core. And then because we're so incredibly adaptive, we overcompensate. We shift into some functioning doing mode. And that's what happened for me. And it was interesting because it isn't in, it is exists outside of achievement in terms of the professional sense. And I see a driving to perform in my own personal relationships because who we think we are and how good we feel about ourselves impacts not only when we're achieving in business, but how we're showing up for our relationships. And so many of us as adults at our core, because we didn't have that safe environment, because our needs weren't met, because we didn't have someone who was just interested in who we are, we compensate and we shift into, again, driving ourselves to feel worthy in those same ways. Do you think there's ever, like, from this being on this journey of doing a lot of personal and self-development, I'm like, is there ever a point when you're just like, you know what, you're good. You can pass this test. Or is that my inner child wanting to know that I'm good enough on the whole spectrum of being worthy, maybe? Now I'm in a loop. About it. Oh, interesting. I think what you're asking in a lot of ways is where is that that done? Yeah. I think so many of us are looking to check the final box to be able to rest. And I think the ability to rest in that beingness is is ultimately part of the goal. I think that life is an evolving journey. I don't think there is an end point. And I think the reality of us is so few of us are comfortable just with who we are in terms of our shifting interests, our shifting energy, our shifting experience of life. So when we started, you mentioned that there's different aspects of self, right? So there's the emotional self. What is that aspect of it? And how do we navigate and be better there. Oh my goodness. I'm realizing also all my questions like, oh, how can I do better? How can we do better? How can our listeners do better? Like, oh, we probably should work on that more. <laughs> our emotional self. I mean, I think an important place to begin is to understand what emotions are. Um, Cause I think very few of us truly understand that they 
our sensations that are happening in our body. They're very important, mm-hmm. actual messengers. They are our first interface in terms of how we're experiencing or the information that they give us, I should say, is how are we experiencing the environment around us? We're all walking this earth in a physical body and having differing experiences and how that's registering in our body really gives us clarity on are we safe? Can we use how we're feeling to inform the next decision that we're making? And very few of us, again, when we don't have a safe caregiver to help us navigate our emotions, we don't develop that resilience. We don't develop that vocabulary. We don't develop the ability to deal with emotions later in life. And because very few of us have had a caregiver who knew how to tend to their own emotions, very few of us then had that safe space to explore our sadness. We might've heard, you know, urgings to not be sad, not express sadness, not be angry for all of these different reasons. And we get very habitual in that area as well, because a big part of our emotions is driven by the nervous system that lives in our bodies, by that sensory, that out of our conscious awareness, sensory system, it's called neuroception, that's always kind of evaluating the environment around us. And if we didn't have someone to take us from stress back into safety in childhood, chances are every experience that we're going to be having in adulthood might feel unsafe. And then we become emotionally reactive. Let's take a minute to talk about one of my favorite educational platforms, Masterclass. I have been referring back to this platform for years, and I love that you can simply log in and take inspirational classes from world-class coaches, no matter where you are. If you haven't explored Masterclass yet, go to masterclass.com slash boss babe and scroll through some of the categories. I think you'll really love what you see. One of the latest classes I tuned into was Anna Winter's class on creativity and leadership. She takes you into her office as Vogue's editor-in-chief and it was so inspiring to learn about her leadership style, team culture, and how she encourages creativity in her team. Not only does Masterclass have tangible business development classes that you can watch at your desk or listen to on the go, but it also includes classes in 10 other categories ranging from food, home and lifestyle, music, wellness, design, and so much more. There are over 200 classes to choose from with new classes added every month. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Plus, Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash boss babe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash boss babe, masterclass.com slash boss babe. The other day, the team and I were talking about how much our audience loves biohacking. And whenever we release content based around creating better habits for our lifestyle and health, you all seem to really soak it up and request more. So I wanted to share about our podcast sponsor, Prolon, today because I've never seen a company like this. Prolon is a revolutionary plant-based nutrition program that nourishes the body while making cells believe that they're fasting. There are so many strategic benefits to fasting and Prolon helps you hit these goals without actually needing to fast. Prolon's five-day program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all designed to keep your body in a fasted state. And you get everything pre-packaged, labeled, and ready to go, so there's no guesswork. It's super simple, and it works. Extended fasting of at least two to three days has proven to produce unique benefits like cellular rejuvenation, metabolic support, and increased cardiovascular health. So if you're ready for a fasting program that doesn't leave you hungry or exhausted and instead gives you more energy, I highly recommend giving Prolon a try. Right now, Prolon is offering Boss Babe podcast listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. 
Go to prolonlife.com slash boss babe. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash boss babe for this special offer. Prolonlife.com slash boss babe. Interesting. So let's stay there a second. So if we feel emotionally unsafe and then we become reactive, what are signs that we're doing that? Yeah. When we have really, really big disproportionate feelings, when we don't feel like we can control our feelings, when we're screaming and yelling and we don't really have that choice point to communicate calmly or to remove ourselves, some of us do the other end of the spectrum. We shut down, we ice, we stop speaking to someone who upsets us. And then pretty much everything in between. If we have a feeling that feels big and if we have a feeling that feels out of control and that we don't have choice in how we respond, chances are we're probably relying on an older habitual coping mechanism in those moments. So is the goal, let's take it like feelings like temperatures. So extreme Mm -hmm. cold and extreme hot, right? As in like, oh my goodness, I'm extremely happy being hot and I'm extremely sad being cold. Let's just use that, like a thermostat. So we have Mm -hmm. minus 50 and plus 50. (laughs) Is the goal not to get to minus 50 and plus 50, but to stay in like minus 20 plus 20? Like how do, is it a bad thing if we have really high experiences of elation and excitement or is that an okay thing? Or is like, if our highs are really big, we're going to have really, really lows. I'm curious. It's less about mm -hmm. how high the high is and how low the low is and more about how responsive can I remain? And I think what you're asking about is the window of tolerance. And typically what that means is there's a certain threshold where I lose responsiveness, where I don't have a say and I am screaming and yelling or not speaking to you anymore. And I lose the responsiveness control because we're all energetically different. We're going to experience and register the environment around us. And some of us might feel a higher high to a given event than another person. But I think what we're going for is remaining responsive, being able to say, oh, wow, I'm having a really high moment right now. I'm having a really low moment right now. And I can still stay not only grounded in my body, I can make a choice as to what happens next. I don't allow that emotion to overwhelm me. So if people are listening to this and like, okay, I definitely don't remain responsive. And what are the next steps that they should do if they know that to be true about themselves? I think the first thing that they should do is offer themselves compassion um, because this isn't an indicator that something is wrong. Um, if we you know, find ourselves being more reactive than not, chances are the reason lays, again, in that early childhood environment where you weren't modeled or you didn't have that safe caregiver to help your actual nervous system feel this different degrees of dysregulation, and then come back into safety. So compassion, I'm always a huge fan, and it is definitely a necessary part of the journey. So anyone listening, if they're like, oh, geez, I am out of control with my emotions. I'm very emotionally reactive. I'm explosive. I fly off the handle. Understanding that you're human, and the answer, again, probably is in those early, unsafe, dysregulating environments. And at the same time, becoming conscious to the fact that your body is playing a role. This is a conversation that I found myself really stuck with old clients when I would do individual work because no amount of insight, awareness, even the best intention to not become explosive that next time would actually help that human create change in that moment. Because what has to happen in that moment, because part of the problem in a sense is my nervous system feels so out of control, has to involve the body. Might mean 
taking that step to ground my attention awareness in how it feels to be physically present in my body in this moment. It might mean doing some breath work to actually calm my nervous system's reactivity down so that then I have access to that very insightful part of my brain and ultimately that new choice. And this is where I think many of us get caught in this cycle. We feel very shameful. We have all of the insight that we shouldn't do these things anymore, yet we continue to recycle those old habitual coping mechanisms, which often look like emotional reactivity, because it's the only way we've known how to keep ourselves safe. We have to actually teach our body in those moments how to be safe so that we can then have access to that new choice. So is that like somatic when you talk about body, like somatic healing? 100%. And does the somatic healing link in with the nervous system? Yes, somatic. Our body is governed by our nervous system. It runs everything from how our body is orientating, moving itself through the earth, like we're talking about it. It has to do with our emotions, with our sense of self, with how we're showing up. So our nervous system really does govern our body. And again, because when we're born, not only are we developmentally dependent, our nervous system is actually still developing into our late mid-20s. So with the developing nervous system, we really need to make sure that we're caring for our nervous system in particular in our body making sure that we're eating nutrient-dense meals, making sure that we're moving our muscles just as much as we're resting our muscles, and making sure that we're getting a nice constant even flow of oxygen. All of those are ways that, all of those steps are ways that we care for our physical nervous system and our body so that in those moments in time, we can learn how to regulate ourselves. I can really see that actually too, because I was just speaking at a really big event, Influencer Summit, the last couple of days, and I've always, I've learned box breathe, which is like that breathing in for four, holding for four, breathe out for four, hold out for four. And the change that I feel in my nervous system around that is like night and day. And so what are tools specifically that people can leverage in moments of stress, maybe moments of anger, moments of maybe sadness, I'm just thinking about how our nervous system can take control. What are, I know you speak about nutrient dense meals, et cetera, and you mentioned getting enough oxygen, but like what are some of the habits or grounding techniques that people can utilize? Yeah. So before we talk about the techniques, I think what's important here is to understand we all want to use that tool in the moment in time that we need to. This is where the conversation, I think, around consistent use of these new lifestyle habits really does apply because the reality of it is once we are in that emotional brain, even that intention to, oh, right, that box breathing that Danielle just told me about is going to be so helpful in that moment. I'm not going to remember to do it. And probably chances are, even if I remember, I'm going to be so dysregulated because I'm not practicing nervous system regulation in all of the other moments that it's probably going to be largely ineffective. So that's when we really do talk about integrating things like nutrition, sleep, movement, breath work into our consistent practice so that when that moment in time happens, not only am I consciously aware of myself and my nervous system and the role that it is playing, I have a bit of practice at using these new tools. And there's all different types of breath work. Breath work becomes, is always my go-to because we are always breathing and we can become intentional and use practices like box breathing, like a physiological sigh, mm -hmm. like just elongating our out breath, like just learning how to breathe maybe yeah. deeply from our belly. And really the list goes on. And this is one of those practices that we can do 
throughout our day. It's a little different than the things where we have to lock ourselves in a room and, you know, or nutrient-dense meals, which only happen at mealtime. Breathwork is something that, in my opinion, we can and should practice as frequently as possible so that in those moments, conscious awareness becomes part of the foundation, which means noticing, noticing as your heart is starting to elevate, noticing as maybe you are getting ready to go on stage and your breath is starting to quicken and your muscles are starting to tense and your nervous system is starting to indicate that this is a threatening, scary experience. If you become aware of that happening in that moment, that's happening already. Without awareness, all of those signals, I'm under threat, I'm stressed out, is going to go to your mind, your brain, and be part of the story. You're going to feel scared as, of what happens as opposed to feeling more calmly in control. That looks different than, oh, I'm in my body. I feel my heart rate beginning to elevate. I feel my, my muscles beginning to tense. And now in this moment, I can use one of those tools to do that breath work or maybe just to tune into what's going on around me. I'm in a nice, comfortable chair. I have some lights on me. Maybe I can smell the aroma in the room. When we can ground our attention and our body in the present moment, then we can give ourselves a little bit of confidence in terms of shifting that. This is overwhelming and I'm scared to shifting the signals. My heart is calming. My muscles are not as tense anymore now that I've done some breath work or done some grounding. And now I'm going to shift the message that my body is sending to my brain. I might not feel as scared or overwhelmed by the talk I'm going to give. I might feel just enough to remain in control and responsive and maybe even excited about it. That is so powerful. And I was just really listening too, because I think as we my personal experience and journey of this is getting used to feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's like getting comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And I think I heard Brendan say that at probably at his 2017 event that I first went to. And that's always stuck with me because I think as you push from, you know, when, when if you're an entrepreneur, most people are trying to go from somewhere into a new situation they haven't necessarily been in before. And so my experience of it is on this journey, pushing the edge, but then because that's been stretched once, it's, I'm trying to work out an analogy to explain this. It's like, I've pushed it. Then when the recall's there, it's not as bad as it was before. Can that happen that you're training your nervous system to deal with more uncomfortable positions, perhaps? That's exactly what happens. And that's what happened very early on in time in terms of discomfort. So the more stress we experience and the more overwhelming that stress became for us, the more uncomfortable and then adaptive we found the way to make ourselves safe. Over time, because our nervous system prefers the familiar. Even those of you listening that are, well, wait a minute, I have a lifetime of you know negative consequences that my familiar habits have caused me. According to my nervous system, it's predictable. We know what comes next. So at our core, down to our physiology, very much evolutionarily driven physiology, humans will avoid discomfort at all costs. Um, so we learn the way to feel safe enough avoiding the unfamiliar. And that's why we get so locked and loaded in our habit. So anytime we make a new choice outside of what we're used to, we will feel some degree of resistance. We will feel all of the thoughts will wash over us, telling us not to keep going in that direction. We'll start to feel uncomfortable or maybe a little bit overwhelmed in our body. Doesn't mean that we're walking in the wrong direction, just means again, that we're going into that unfamiliar. And what you're describing is very much 
part of my physiology. I got so used to avoiding discomfort. I took discomfort to mean that I was going in the wrong direction, that it was my intuition telling me to stop, you know, moving that way. And before long, I kept myself so constricted that so much of my healing was expanding, learning how to tolerate more and more levels of discomfort. And as opposed to the experience that I once lived in childhood, being an overwhelmed little girl without support, actually teaching my nervous system now that I'm not that child anymore, that I have supportive practices that I could employ like breathwork for myself and supportive relationships that I didn't once have. Though at our core, we're always going to avoid discomfort. That's why some of us won't even start new things because even the prospect of walking into a new direction or actualizing on that newly set intention and will overwhelm that desire to be in that familiar frame. Yeah, let's talk about that actually because from an aspect of business, I'm curious actually, what sets it apart? Some people, you'll give them a challenge and they'll rise to that challenge or they'll be like, okay, I want to make this thing happen. So I'm going to do these next three things to make that thing happen. Versus some people being like, I want this to happen, but I'm paralyzed in inaction. I'm paralyzed in, I want it, I want it, I want it. But you know what? I'm not really willing to stretch as far as to achieve it. And so I think a lot of people listening will fall into one of those two buckets. Those who are like, yeah, I'm getting on with it. I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. I'm messing up. I'm falling over. I'm getting back up again. And the other group being, "Mm, I really want it, but I'm scared of falling over. And so therefore I'll just stay. Let's start with that group first. Because I think sometimes when we're stuck in in inaction, again, it's not that we don't have enough willpower. It's not that we don't have the intention, you know, or the desire even to do the new thing. Sometimes that we're stuck based on our nervous system response. So the first thing that our nervous system will do when something feels threatening, uncomfortable, scary in some way, it'll mobilize, just like I was describing earlier. Blood will start to pump, our heart will start to race, and we will have the opportunity to do one of two things in that moment. Fight, whatever the perceived threat is, overcome it with our own willpower or force or flee. If we don't feel like we're strong enough to fight or fleeing, removing ourselves is the only option, we will leave to create safety. If that threat is too consistent, if we are too ill-equipped to deal with that, our nervous system will shift us into a shutdown state. And very much the shutdown state, it's like playing dead um, when we see an animal or think of an animal playing dead it'll demobilize us. We'll have no energy. We'll have no willpower seeming. And we become stuck then in inaction. And sometimes we'll shame ourselves. We'll feel like, what is wrong with us? Why can't we do these things that we know maybe we want to do or are good for us to do? And sometimes the answer might be that our nervous system has been too overwhelmed for too long that it actually thinks our best bet is to keep us stopped, stagnant, and not moving at all. So understanding that, I think, allows us not only shed some compassionate light on why we might be stuck, even though we do know that we should be doing something different, and then might inspire us to, again, get the nervous system involved, learning how to activate our body safely so that we can begin to mobilize that very shutdown energy. And then, of course, the other side of us, some of us, you know, have been modeled resilience, you know, people having parents who maybe taught us how to walk through discomfort, helped us, supported us 
through that discomfort. Then, of course, there's the other end of the spectrum, I think, that we were talking about earlier, where we keep going no matter what. We're even overstepping our own limits and our own boundaries, which then, again, I could make a case for probably comes from a childhood experience of that was the only way that I could keep myself safe, always trying to keep going no matter what Mm -hmm. um, struggle is coming up, even in cases where we might need to hit pause, slow down, stop, reorganize. So- With regards to your workbook, you're highlighting things that, you know, we could be changing within ourselves. I'm trying to think of the word. What is the right word? What are we trying to do? Like, are we trying to be more in tune with ourselves? Are we trying to, I don't feel like we're trying to better ourselves because that feels like the wrong word. Like, what is it that we're all trying to achieve? I think alignment, when I heard okay. you talking, that's like the that. word that, that came to so mind. So how we're all me. trying to get into more of alignment with who we are, I guess at our core. And when we were at Hoffman, we got taught almost like the onion ring or the bullseye. Like you're in the center is you and your essence. And around it, then there's a little bit of shame. There was like a ring of shame. And then there's like all these other rings, which are environmental factors, upbringing, all these things. And they teach you that really it's about coming back to your essence and being in full alignment. What motivated you to create this book and workbook? And what do you hope people achieve by going through it? So the seed, I think, for the the workbook was planted when I was writing how to do the work. But it's very intentional in terms of that first book and presenting, you know, an overview of holistic wellness and, of course, some practical steps of how to create change. At the end of every chapter, I would include journal props practices, though the whole time I was writing and I knew that there was a lot more um, that I could include in terms of a full comprehensive journey in terms of peeling back. I love the onion analogy, all of those different layers. So for me, the hope is that this new workbook now becomes a roadmap for wherever you are on your journey to begin to reconnect. And interestingly, it is a process of pulling back all of the onion. I imagine people who hear me speak and you know want to meet their authentic self and even the title of the workbook, How to Meet Yourself, that's the goal. We want to see who, meet who, reconnect with who we really are. And I very intentionally created or separated the workbook into three separate sections mm-hmm. um, that begins with the body, and then we progress into the mind, and then the final section is the spiritual or the authentic self component of it. So that very strategically comes at the end because really we have to first integrate the fact that we are in a body, locate ourselves in a body in time where those feelings live, understand whether or not we are having nervous system dysregulation that's causing maybe our emotional reactivity, driving us to continue to perform and achieve even though we don't feel good enough at our core, then peeling back the layers of the inner child, everything we're talking about, all of the ego that comes down to it. We essentially have to discover who we're not before then we're left with that space to tune into to determine whether or not we're living in alignment. What do I really want? What are my core deeper needs? Not needs that I had to, you know, fulfill to keep myself wanted, worthy enough in these early relationships. What do I really kind of want in my terms of my essence? What's my purpose, my passion, and all of that good stuff? And it isn't until our body is balanced and we're safe and we've peeled back all of the effects of the conditioning, you know, who we thought we weren't until we then can figure out who we thought we were. So my hope is that this workbook provides a roadmap for people wherever they are on their journey to get clear on what habits are coloring their life and, of course, giving them the opportunity to make more choices that are coming from that deepest space. Do you think there's an age where this practice 
should be introduced to people. And actually, because, you know, we're like, a lot of listeners are around a similar age and love our parents, but a lot of our parents were not necessarily discussing and having these types of conversation. And I'm watching Natalie with her baby and some of my other friends who have now had babies and like realizing, you know, the difference in parenting in the generations that have perhaps gone before us. And so I'm curious, like, when is the age that you should start your own self-worth? And then also like, for your, you know, at one, but also when do you introduce your children to this type of thing? I don't think there's an age necessarily to begin. I know that there isn't a too late. I know that we can, you know, become conscious of the habits that are creating our life and change at any time. I do think that, I think the most often question I get in any aspect of parenting is usually, you know, advice. How do I break this habit for my child? How do I make sure that they have their needs that are consistently met? Maybe they have a childhood that I didn't have. And Usually my answer is some version of focusing on the parent themselves, not the thing to say to do, you know, in that moment with the child. It's how are you showing up in terms of your own emotions? What are you modeling for your child and how safe are you? How curious are you? Are you able to be safe and curious? Are you stuck in your own survival mode where those things aren't a possibility? It's really more of a focus on the parent themselves doing the work. And again, that can start at any time. And the reality for many of us into adulthood is we didn't have that safe parent figure. We didn't have that modeling. We didn't have that space in our own childhood. So as we get more connected to who we are and become less reactive, more responsive, then that's going to translate to how we're tending to our children. A word that I've heard you say several times in this interview is safety and safe. When we meet ourselves where we're at, is that about finding alignment, but also safety in who we are, that we are good enough, that we're okay and being able to hold yourself? Yeah. Safety is, I believe, at the foundation of the entirety of our journey. And it begins with first learning how to create safety in our body. You know, you heard me speak earlier, emotions live in the body. Well, if your body's emotions are overwhelming, it's not going to feel like a safe space for us to tune our attention in. You're not going to be able to feel safe exploring what is going on. And that very much described how I lived for so long. Being unsafe, under-supported with overwhelming, consistent emotions in my childhood, I checked out and my body became the last place on earth that I wanted to spend much time, if any. So creating safety means teaching and doing the breath work and doing the grounding and making sure that my body's needs are being met consistently so that when I then begin to peel back the onion and explore this inner child and this deeper wounding, I'm able to actually turn my attention to what's happening in my body because all of the sensations of the pain, the hurt, the anger that many of us are carrying with us, even if we're not paying attention as I hadn't for decades of my life, it still lives in our body. So learning how to be safely present to our body. And then of course, safe in our emotional expression, not becoming overreactive where we're scaring or, you know, causing a lack of safety in our relationships is then the next extension of that practice. But at the core, to discover who we are, we have to feel safe in our body to attune to the messages. Because I believe when we're talking about essence, who we are, authentic self, I believe it speaks typically 
through our body. It's not coming in the endless tales of our mind. It's coming in more visceral feelings and sensations and those light bulb aha moments that we actually don't know where those thoughts are coming from. It's coming from our body. So again, if we're not safe in our body, we're not going to be able to attune to those messages that are telling me that, you know what, this is a direction for me to go in versus, you know what, Nicole, this isn't for me. That's the alignment that I'm talking about. I think too, remember when people used to be like, oh, what does your gut say? Mm -hmm. Oh, I had this reaction. And I noticed this um, a couple of years ago, I interviewed Jamie Kern-Lima, who founded It Cosmetics, who we both know. And she was saying, oh, I had this gut check. And in that moment, it was about 2020 for me, I realized how much I had switched off from that. And everything I've been doing since is really getting back in tune with my body, understanding what my, and I want to say intuition and my mind, I would say intuition is sometimes mine, but sometimes it's just a feeling and that feeling and that guts. Do you think that is when you, the more aligned and in tune you are or the more you can read your own body? Absolutely. Do you think that correlates with that inner peace too? 100%. I mean, our gut, we now know, is, you know, sends major messages. Um, it's where neurotransmitters for our, you know, mood and health are produced. Yes. So our gut in and of itself, in terms of the physical location and, you know, being the place where our, our food digests actually plays a huge role in terms of our mental wellness and in our mental world. It's funny. I had Tina Anderson on. She owns a company called Just Thrive and they do probiotics. And she came on and she was telling me that. They've done all this research. And if you have really bad gut health, you're actually more likely to have depression or stress and all these aspects. And I was absolutely fascinated by that. I hadn't yeah. realized that there was such a strong correlation because when I went to med school for chiropractic, that was not discussed oh, no. whatsoever. Not at all. The gut, the body, not the nervous system was nothing that I heard about in my clinical training. And what she's referring to is not only do neurotransmitters, are they produced in our gut, but damage that can happen by toxins that we eat, by certain medications that we take, by certain foods that some of us eat that, you know, don't align with our physiology or biology will cause damage to our gut. And the reason why damage becomes important is it, when our gut lining is damaged and toxins or, you know, things that are inside leak outside, or even our bad bacteria, if you will, is overrunning our gut, inflammation will be the next thing that happens. And when our body is inflamed, that's a sign that our nervous system is on alert, that there's a threat or a predator inside us that our nervous system now needs to mobilize to attack. And the message that our brain is going to get is very similar to I'm stressed. There's a threat. It doesn't matter that it came from the food that I'm eating. My whole system is going to be on alert and possibly even causing that reactivity. So I will not be able to trust my gut when I, my gut is damaged because my gut is going to be sending fires of inflammation and probably sending the, or kind of stoking the flames of that reactivity, if you will. So my takeaways from this podcast is, first of all, like me, it does matter Well, we knew this anyway, but it does matter like what you're eating and how you're supporting your body and making sure you are taking on good foods, you're looking after your gut, all those aspects. The second thing is building habits that you can lean on in times of stress. So whether that's good sleep habits, good journaling habits, good breathing habits, good, and correct me if I'm getting any of these wrong, but these are the things, some yeah. of the things I'm like, okay, so that's why, you know, because I, I was really proud of myself actually on how I did perform on stage, but it was, is definitely taken 
a lot, like, and I noticed the day one, I was way more nervous than day two. And I was like, I could already feel myself regulating to it, to the situation. But I think the takeaway is like always just building these things generally, maybe even before I do podcast doing box breathing and just these aspects. I don't necessarily feel nervous before a podcast, but introducing the habits of things that I'm already acclimatized to, because then I can ground in those situations when I'm being stretched that further. And then the other takeaway is to get the book because I really need to do. Uh, I am just, I said to you, I'm like so impressed. I want to do it with my partner because everything in here, like working through like the conditioned mind, the emotional self, like the seven inner child archetypes. I think the more that we can learn about ourselves, the more, I've noticed this anyway, the more I learn about myself, the more at peace I am with myself. Yeah. I think learning. peace is everything. Yeah, learning and accepting who you are. Um, that goes back to the the conversation we we're having a bit about our intuition too. It's one thing to attune to it, and then it's another thing to trust it, to act on it. Same thing when we discover the wholeness of who we are. It's one thing to to know who we are, then it's another thing to be who we are, right? To live in alignment, to allow that to be enough, and to self express that. And I believe that's the the journey that we're all on here as humans is beginning to explore what many of us are carrying with us from childhood that are coloring the way we are in the world, understanding, of course, that that is not who we are, and then beginning that journey of peeling back so that we can find that alignment. Discovering those inner pings, those desires, the curiosity or whatever it might be, then, of course, challenging ourselves, walking through the discomfort of speaking, right, those truths of living those truths in the world, when, of course, then we open ourselves up to feedback and what other people think and how it impacts, right, the world around us. So I think it becomes a two-step process that, in my opinion, is grounded in consciousness, in safety, in the body, and in, in our wholeness as a human. Love that. So when is the book on sale? Where can everyone buy it? Let's give them the links because it is so good. Absolutely. The book will live in the world on December 6th. Um, it should be available at all major retailers. So wherever you like to purchase books, um, you will hopefully be able to check it out there. Oh my goodness. Well, listen, thank you for coming on. I know this is not going to be the last time I have you on because I have a million other subjects I wanted to be chatting about with you. Because I think this, we all talk about, like you said, the external goals, things that we want to achieve. But really you're not even going to be happy achieving them if you don't actually learn to be happy on the journey, learn to be content with who you are, where you are, and who you're being in these moments. So I think it's great work for us all to be doing. And thank you for bringing it to the world in a way that is like easier to get more people doing it. I think that's like, this is the type of book I can definitely give my mom. I'm happy it's translating that. That's always a goal with my work is to communicate. I think what sometimes are just big concepts. We read them in a book. We don't really understand what they mean, how they apply to us, and more so how to utilize them to create change or to return to alignment, if you will. So I'm happy to hear that that is landing. And thank you, Danielle. I'm truly honored to be a part of this amazing podcast and look forward to many future conversations. Thanks. Oh my God. This is so good. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode on the Boss Babe podcast, then I'd absolutely love it if you leave us a review. As a thank you, we'll send you our side hustle success kit. Your simple no BS guide to keeping track of everything that you need to do to start and grow your business. To access this freebie, all you need to do is leave us a review 
then share a screenshot of your review with contact at bossbabe.com and we'll send this must-have kit straight to your inbox.